Uh, let's open our Bibles uh, tonight. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. Uh, last week we looked at chapter 9 where we were really introduced to a gentleman by the name of Saul. Saul, who was the son of Kish, he was a Benjamite. He would actually be Israel's first king. Remember that the children of Israel, they were kind of fed up with Samuel's two sons. We know that as Samuel became older, his two sons were judges down in Beersheba, and his sons didn't walk in his ways. And so the people were very discouraged about that. And they decided at that point they wanted a king to rule over them. And God gave to Samuel words to share with them about the the nature of the king that would rule over them. And that ought to be enough to kind of make them reconsider Because really, when God judged them through the time of the judges, that 450 years approximately, they really didn't need a king because God was the one who was uh, over them. He would tell the judge, and the judge would uh, do those things that God had commanded, and the people would rise up because there were a great number of them. They were an army in and of themselves, so they really didn't need to have um, an army because they were the army. But now they decide like they they want to be like all the other nations and there's something about that in the nature of of the human heart especially of unsaved man we want to be like everyone else we don't want to be unique you know god caused each one of you i don't know if you know this actually i know you know it in your head but every one of us is unique we're the same in, in, in many ways, but God has created you unique. You've got a unique personality. There's no one on the planet like you. They can look similar to you, but there is no one quite like you. Your personality, uh, everything about you is different. It's like a snowflake. Every snowflake is different, and you're no different. God created you unique. But they wanted to be like all the nations around them. They wanted to have a king to rule over them, just like all the nations, just like all of the nations. And so we see Saul being introduced on the scene, and we find that he was actually his father's donkeys were lost. And so Saul goes looking for his donkeys with a servant of his. And they go from Gabeah, where Saul lived, and his father, Kish, and their small family. And they go north, and they're trying to search for these donkeys, and little did they know that it was actually God's providence that these donkeys were lost, because as a result of those donkeys being lost, now Saul has got to travel, and he's going to find himself, unwittingly, he's going to find himself in the town of Ramah, which is where Samuel lived. And Saul really didn't know Saul or Samuel that well at all. In fact, when he gets there, he had to be pointed out to Saul. And yet this man was the judge over Israel all the time of his life. And yet Saul had no idea who he was. And he wasn't that far away. Just a few miles up the road from Gabeah is Ramah. So it kind of makes you wonder, why, isn't it, why didn't he know? Was he not interested in spiritual things? We really don't know. And so Saul goes looking for these donkeys Finally, he catches up with Samuel, and Samuel, hearing from the Lord the day prior that a man from Benjamin would be coming, and God told him to anoint this man as king over Israel, as the commander over the Lord's heritage. And so Samuel knew. So when Saul comes on the scene and he meets with Samuel, 
Samuel has a big feast. They have a big feast. Saul is placed in that place of, as the guest of honor, which is a very great uh, honor for him to be, especially in Samuel's presence, who is very well-known, very famous prophet. And then it tells us there in the 25th verse of chapter 9, and let's just pick up there, and we're going to read through chapter 10 through, at least through verse 16. It says that when they had come down from the high place uh, into the city of Ramah, Samuel spoke with Saul on top of the house, and they arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And it says in verse 27, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of the Lord. And so here is the the reason for the meeting itself. And I am sure that Saul was very perplexed at this time because the night prior when they had the feast, Samuel is dropping these subtle hints about uh, his, about about Saul being the, the desired one of Israel and, and upon his family's line. And so it really got Saul's curiosity peaked. And so finally the time comes. So now it's just the two men alone. His servant has gone ahead. Now it's just Saul and Samuel there standing on the outskirts of the city. And then it says in verse ten, or chapter 10, excuse me, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, he poured it on his head, and he kissed him, and he said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And there, you will, and there they will say to you, the donkeys which... Uh, you went to look for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? And then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. And after you shall come to the hill of God, or excuse me, after that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place, with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. And then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them. And be turned into another man. And let it be when these things come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come to you, down to you, to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you should do. And so it was, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day when they came up to the hill. There was a group of prophets to meet him. And then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened, verse 11, when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And then a man answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. And then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? 
And so he said, uh, to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly about the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. And so here we see um, Saul on his way. And then we're going to see in chapter 10 at least three different themes. The obvious thing is that the anointing of Saul as king. That's fairly obvious to us, but I want you to see a few other things in this chapter that are really unique. And that is the gifts of the Spirit operating in the Old Testament. Most of the time we think of the gifts of the Spirit only being a New Testament thing. But we see this in the Old Testament, and so we're going to be looking at that. And we're also going to see the manifestation of the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the, of the believer. Not all three, but we're going to see one of them, because the other two are really reserved for the New Testament church. And we'll look at that as well. And so these are very significant things that we, that we read about here in 1 Samuel. So let's go back to verse 1 here. Notice it says that Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And so Saul was privately anointed by Samuel there at Ramah. And the oil was significant. They normally anointed priests. They would anoint kings. And so this was a very significant moment for Saul and Samuel. And I find this interesting because as Samuel is anointing Saul, Saul's kingly line was destined to fail before it began. And you may ask, why is that? Because it was never to be sustained but from the line of Judah. From the line of Judah. You recall last time we were together, we looked at Genesis chapter 49 as Jacob was dying on his deathbed. And there is his 12 sons surrounding him. He prophesies over all of them. And when he comes to Judah, he mentions some things. But one of the things that he mentioned concerning Judah, he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter is the right to rule. The scepter is... A, a, a rod of authority, if you will. And that rod can be used in a, a variety of different ways. When you put forth the rod, it can uh, allow somebody to come forward to the, throne, the, to the throne. It can also mean your death. And so the scepter was the right to rule. And what tribe was Saul from? From Benjamin. But yet, the Bible tells us that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And it's interesting, isn't it? So already, this is not going to last. And of course, God knew this. And aren't you glad that God gives everyone a chance? No one will be able to stand before God and say, you never gave me a chance. You always had this group pegged out, and I never had a chance. Well, here's an, uh, an, um, an opportunity where Saul could have really done the right thing. He could have had a really great heart. God gave him every opportunity. And we're going to see, and we, we've already read it as we skimmed the chapter, God empowering Saul for service. Even though God knew ultimately what the end was going to be, but he gave him every opportunity. And see, that's, the, what, that's what God does for each one of us. He gives us each opportunity. We won't be able to stand before him and say, I didn't receive anything, Lord. So the Lord gives 
He gives us all opportunities. So notice, verse 2, it says, When you have departed from me today, he says, You will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelza, and they will say to you, The donkeys which you have looked for are, have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys, and I was worried about you. So can you see here, when we see here, it says that when you have departed from me today, it's like Samuel is telling Saul things that haven't even happened yet. Has somebody ever told you something that hasn't happened yet? The only way they can do that is by the Spirit of God, because God is omni, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. And yet Samuel here is showing the gift, really, of the gift of, uh, of the, a word of knowledge. God gave him supernatural understanding of events the next day that haven't even occurred yet. And they're very specific instructions. You're going to meet these people on this place at this time, and everything is laid out for them, and that can only be done by the Spirit of God. And yet we are in the Old Testament. We are in the Old Testament. And so we see this gift of the Spirit here in verse 2. In fact, verses 2 through 6, we're going to see Samuel... Uh, showing forth this spiritual gift of the word of knowledge concerning Saul's journey after he leaves him. And you might want to circle these verses. Circle verse 2, circle verse 3, and circle verse 5. Because each one of these things, you're going to see God giving to Samuel this gift for the moment. For the moment. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You guys aren't used to me having you turn to places. I'm usually just giving you the reference and going for it. <laughs> but it's good for us to see these things, too. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to pick up at verse 4. Again, Paul writing to the Corinthians, what does he say to them? He says, there are diversities of gifts. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. But the same Spirit. There are many difference of differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of the person? No, underline that word, for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom which is what we see Samuel exemplifying here, I believe. A word of wisdom. That's a spiritual gift. Do you recall another time in 1 Kings chapter 3 where two women, remember, were, were going to, they, were, they were going through a famine and they decided, these two women who had young children, young babies, that the ladies are like, you know, let's eat my child today and then tomorrow we will eat yours. And that's how bad things have gotten. And that was... Actually, a prophecy that God had given. And so, the one lady does, she allows her child, they allow the child to die, and they eat the one child. And then the next day comes, and the other lady says, ah, I don't think so, I changed my mind. Right? And so, they come before Solomon, and they say, you know, you know, we need to divide this child. You know, we need to eat this child because that's what the, the deal that we put together. And so Sam's, or I'm sorry, Solomon was gifted by the Lord with a word of wisdom. And he said, why don't we just divide the one child right now? 
And then the true child, or the true mother of the child, could not bear going through that. And so Sammy, or Solomon excuse me, gave the child to the woman who really had compassion because that was her child. You can read about that in First Kings, but that was a word of wisdom that God had given to Solomon. And so we see those gifts working. And notice, and, then, and, and this is uh, the word of wisdom is through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. We're seeing Samuel doing the same thing here. God giving him knowledge. A word of knowledge is information that the Spirit of God gives you that you wouldn't or couldn't obtain by ordinary means. It is a gift. I remember one time I was praying for someone. I, it was a while ago, and I was just there, and I started praying. I, I didn't really understand why I was praying this. And the person was floored because they didn't understand that they thought I knew something about them and I never met them before. And yet the Lord at that moment gave me something about them that I couldn't have you know, possibly known. And so God does that. And he gives you information that you couldn't have known or couldn't have obtained in any ordinary means. And so a word of knowledge through the same spirit, another of the same spirit, uh, the gift of healings. We see that in the Old Testament as well. Remember Elisha healing Naaman, the Syrian, from leprosy. That was a gift of healing. He pronounced a gift of healing upon him. And so we see the gifts of the spirit are not just a New Testament thing. We see them sprinkled all the way throughout the Old Testament. Why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We often think of this great divide between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's the same God. We see grace in the Old Testament. Most people think that God is this angry God of the Old Testament, and he's really this sweet little puppy dog in the New Testament, but he really, he's the same. When you look at Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira being judged by God and God striking them dead because of their error at the beginning of the church, hey, he was a God of, of, of judgment at that point, wasn't he not? But yet he was also a God of grace. And you see all of that throughout the Old Testament as well. Same God. Same God. So don't let anybody tell you that it's a different book. No, it's all one book. Same God. Amen? I remember in October of 2018, uh, Jen Dolly, who's a member of our fellowship, she was taking care of her kids one morning, and it was really cold that day. Very cold. It was freezing, actually. And on her phone, she got this Amber Alert message. And if you were here that Sunday, you remember what happened. There was a a young girl by the name of Madeline Rose. I think she was uh, like 13 years old, and she wasn't quite there mentally, and the night before uh, she left her family, it was either the night before or early in the morning, she was, and I think it was the evening that she left, I don't recall, but it doesn't really matter, she was out in sub-zero temperature, out in the middle of nowhere, out there in Rush, Henrietta, you know, way out there in the sticks, and she didn't have her mental faculty, she didn't even leave with a coat, and so this young lady was, her health and her life was in jeopardy, and Jen gets the message on her iPhone, an Amber Alert, and the Lord right there tells her right where she is. She, she gets her kids, she gets Daniel and Hannah, sticks them in the car, and they go right to the place. God told her exactly where she was. She goes and she picks her up, saves her life. But there's no way for her to know. I mean, how can you know that? I mean, the Lord just says, get in your car and, and go and I'll show you. And, and he did. And he, he brought her and she's safe and she survived. And how is that? That's a gift of the Spirit. 
God showing something, a word of knowledge, just giving to Jen that uh, location of where Madeline was. We see it in the New Testament again, even in, in John's Gospel, the very first chapter, uh, when Nathaniel is introduced to Jesus, and it says in verse 46 of John chapter 1, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was speaking to Philip, and Philip said to him, Come and see. And so Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. (laughs) And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending upon the Son of Man. And so Nathanael was so blown away because he, Jesus knew exactly where he was before he saw him coming, and he knew exactly what he was probably reading or thinking about while he was meditating there at that place, and that is why we have such a, a, a really um, amazing response from Nathanael. He's like, truly, you're the son of God. If you know that, that means that you're omniscient. And certainly even the Son of God, Jesus Christ, using a word of knowledge here, because he is the incarnate word of God, tells him. But let's go into verse 2 here in our text. And this is the first sign, if you will, that Samuel gave to Saul. Notice, he's given him advance notice of what's going to happen tomorrow. Go buy your lottery tickets. (laughs) Let me give you the numbers ahead of time. Can you imagine? I'm really glad the Lord doesn't do that because we'd be in a mess. He, he knows that. That's why he wouldn't do such a thing. But notice, when you have departed, this is the first sign. When you have departed from me today, Saul, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you went looking for have been found. And that must have been a great ease to Saul knowing that those donkeys were important to his father. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worried about you. I think it's interesting that, again, God used these donkeys and their loss temporarily to bring about this chance meeting with Samuel. And really, there is no such thing as chance in the Word. In our lives as Christians, there's no such thing as coincidence. I don't believe it. I believe there's God incidences. I believe it's God's sovereign providence that he allowed these donkeys to be lost. And Samuel has to make a little trip, and he has to run into Samuel. And Samuel's the one whom God told the day before, there's going to come a man, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. I would encourage you to read Psalm 139 tonight as you consider what we're reading tonight. It'll really encourage you to know that God is outside of everything. And I love David's heart. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I make my bed in the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You can't hide from God. Some people think they can turn off the lights or they can go someplace in the darkness and God won't see them. We have this little area in the back of the building here where at night we, people like to go back there and park. And they think that nobody's watching. 
but we have cameras around the whole building. And it's amazing how many times over the years, even before the cameras, so many crazy illegal things happen all around, you know, and, and it's just crazy. But notice in verse 3, the second sign, he goes on, he says, Then you shall go forward from there, and you'll come to the terebinth tree at, of Tabor, and there are three men, notice, not two, but three men, going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, and, and, uh, which you shall receive from their hands. And so now, uh, on their journey... They're going to be fed, and they're going to have something to drink, which is, I'm sure is very refreshing. Again, Samuel using that gift of a word of wisdom that God had given to him. And notice verse 6. This is really wonderful. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Will come upon you. I would underline that if I were you. Underline the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And what's going to happen? You will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And I, I love this because God gave to Saul everything that he needed to be a leader and a warrior. Having been anointed by Samuel already, there are certain things that he's going to need. He's going to need the power. He's going to need to have the strength from the Spirit of God. Any person getting in any kind of leadership like that and thinks they can do it with just their natural strength is fooling themselves. I believe that leaders are, are called, they're, they're made by God. You don't go to school to become a leader. It's something that God does in you. You can't fake it. You can try. But it's a calling that God places upon an individual. And I love what God orders, he pays for. God was going to make him the first king, even though he wouldn't be a very good example. God was going to give him everything that he needed. So what God orders, he pays for. He's not going to send Saul into this reign of being a king and having to face armies and battles without being equipped by God. And I love that about God. He's just so good like that. He equips. In your life, he has equipped you to do certain things that you're involved in right now. He's equipped you to be a nurse. He's equipped you to be a physical therapist. You know, he's equipped so many in this room. He's given you abilities and gifts. And within those places, you can minister not only the, the healing, but also the word of God. And even your very life will be an example to those all around you, even if you don't say a word. But hopefully you'll get to say and share words, to share the truth. But the Old Testament saints, they didn't have the wonderful privilege that you and I do. Meaning you and I in the New Testament church, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. But the Old Testament saints, they were saved by grace as they look forward to the coming Messiah. We already look backward in time to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection on the cross. And as a result of Jesus being glorified, we not only have the Spirit within us, but we also, at times, at the Lord's doing, the Spirit of God will come upon us, not for our own grandizement, but for his purposes. That's why there's no button that I have on my phone, or there's no way I can make God's Spirit come upon me at a certain time to accomplish something for him. 
I just got to be available. And then when I'm in the right spot, and I've had this happen to me a number of occasions in my life where I've, I've been in a, an office uh, waiting to go into a doctor. I remember you've heard the story about around 9-11 that happened to me. I'm sitting there, and everyone's just really wounded, and they're really hurting about what's going on. There's still a lot of, un, un, you know, really unsure. They're really unsure about a lot of things. And the Lord just had me stand up and start speaking to them and start telling them the gospel because <laughs> I could tell they were hurting. And the Lord's like, I'm going to use you to encourage them. And so it's important that we do that. But we have the Spirit of God in us. The Old Testament saints, you'll never read where the Spirit of God was in them like it is with us. But the Spirit of God did come upon them to accomplish certain things. You recall in Psalm 51, verses 10 and 11, what did David say in his wonderful psalm? He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. But in the New Testament church, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And what he does, he does permanently. And the Spirit of God, when it indwells a person in the New Testament, the Lord doesn't leave. He doesn't leave. He takes up residence. That's what it means to be born again. We have a unique relationship with the Spirit of God that the Old Testament saints didn't have. They were still saved. They, they still went to heaven, but they, it was by faith in what God had told them was coming. They put their faith in God's word, and they were saved through that mechanism, through that way. We are saved, born again when the Spirit of God indwells us, and we believe in Jesus. See, David knew, and he was aware that the Spirit of God came upon him at times, but was not permanent permanently upon him. That's why he would make a statement, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, because he was very much aware in his time and in his career where the Spirit of God came upon him, and there were other times that he was not upon him. And God empowers by his Spirit to accomplish his purposes. His purposes, not ours. It's always about what the Lord wants to do. That's why we can't manufacture it. We can't turn it on. We can't even fake it, neither should we. Again, I apologize for using myself as an example, but it's just something I remember uh, many years ago when I worked for Xerox. I remember talking. We were standing around a, a machine, and I was talking to a couple of individuals, and I was facing this direction, and I, and I was talking to them about Jesus, and I was kind of, you know, speaking kind of a, in a loud voice like this. And, you know, and they were asking questions, and I was answering them, trying to, you know, answer them. And I just felt like the Lord was really there. I mean, it was just so obvious. Uh, and I, I was just like, I can't remember. I mean, all things were just flooding in in my mind that I, you know, it was amazing. And then uh, toward the end, I look back and there's a crowd of people listening. And it's just the Lord. It's just the Lord when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And that happened with Peter on the day of Pentecost. He spoke words. But when God empowers those words, all of a sudden, everyone is listening. And that is the difference. One person who has got the, who's the, who's baptized with the Spirit, another one who is not, the same message can be given, and one is going to fall flat on the floor, and the other one's going to have 3,000 people giving their heart to Christ. That is the difference. And that's why it's so important that we ask every single day. I, I would encourage you to do that. Don't be afraid of the Spirit of God. 
It's okay to be possessed by the Spirit of God. That's kind of weird to say, weird way to say it, because when we think of being possessed by a spirit, we usually think of demon possession. But people who are possessed by demons don't have any control over themselves. But God doesn't take control over you. He gives you every opportunity. You know, you're not, you're not constrained in chains. But he empowers those words, and those words affect people. And it, it just, it, it's, it's a mystery, but it's something that God does. And so Saul also experienced the Spirit coming upon him. We see it here, but we also gonna, are going to see it when we get to the 18th chapter. It says, now Saul was afraid of David. So we're looking forward now into the book of Samuel when David becomes his minister. And it says, Saul was afraid of David. And why? Because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So the Spirit of God had departed from Saul, but was now upon David. And also, in the 28th chapter of Samuel, toward the end of uh, Saul's career, Saul consults a witch at Endor, if you remember. And it says, and, and basically, Saul was doing a seance with this witch, trying to bring up Samuel from the grave to get information because God wasn't speaking to Sam or wasn't speaking to Saul and Saul was getting so frustrated that he's willing to go over to the dark side to get information about the battle and what's going to happen because God had departed from him because Saul had turned his back on God and his rebellion we're going to see that well, just in a few chapters we're going to see Saul just uh, being disobedient and not obeying the Lord but what does it say in 1 Samuel 28, beginning in verse 15? It says, so Samuel said to Saul, and this is where the, uh, he's trying to bring him up from the grave. Remember, Saul had, uh, Samuel had died by this point. So Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And there, there they are before this witch. And Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me. Notice, he, in his own admission, God has departed from me. And does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Isn't it interesting? If God's not going to answer you, why would you go to somebody else? There's so many things wrong with this. Samuel is dead. And Saul is willing to talk to Samuel because God's not speaking. And it's only by God's grace that he allowed Samuel to even share what was shared here. Because notice what he said. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? So Saul recognizes, Spirit of God is not with me. He's not upon me. And a man who doesn't have the Spirit of God on him, and he's in a position of leadership, he becomes desperate. And naturally so. But he never examined his own heart and said, you know, instead of turning from his rebellion, turning from his self-will, turning from his timidity and asking God to empower him. Instead of that, he consults a witch, whom he had outlawed, by the way. So now he's going to a woman who's scared to death when she sees him, thinking that she's going to be put to death once he gets the answer that he wants. And we see this, the Spirit of God coming upon Old Testament believers. We see it in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. It says, The Spirit of God came upon Amasiah, the chief of the captains. We see it in Numbers chapter 24. The Spirit of God coming upon a false prophet by the name of Balaam. You remember Balaam? 
In Numbers 24, it says, Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go out as at other times to seek the use of sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness, and Balaam raised his eyes, saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and notice, and the Spirit of God came upon him. It didn't come in him, it came upon him. So, the Old Testament believers, they had this ability, you know, the God came upon them. He didn't indwell them like you and I. And I'll prove that in a minute. But the Spirit of God also came upon other judges of the Old Testament. We see Othniel in Judges 3, verse 10. We see the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 34. We see the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Jephthah in chapter 11, verse 29. And also in Samson, this unlikely character who was completely given over to the flesh and not really a good example at all, we find that the Spirit of God came upon him at least four different times. We see it in Judges 13, verse 25, chapter 14, verse 6. We see it in chapter 14, verse 19, and finally in chapter 15, verse 14. So the Spirit of God coming upon them. And why did he come upon them? Remember the last thing that happened with Samson? He says, Lord, just this once, just this once, as he was, eyes were gouged out, as he, was, he became sport for the Philistines. And he put his hands on those pillars, and he says, just this once. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he was able to push those pillars, and the whole entire roof caved in. People were on top, people were down below. About 3,000 people were killed of the Philistines, and he ended his own life. But now we go to the New Testament. In John chapter 7, we see that Jesus speaks of the promise of the Holy Spirit. In John 7, verse 37, it says this, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And notice the commentary here in verse 39 of chapter 7. It says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit of God had not been given in the sense of indwelling or coming upon the New Testament believer at that time because Jesus had not been glorified. And when was Jesus glorified? Certainly at his resurrection and certainly at his ascension. And what do we find in John chapter 20? We're going to read it in just a few minutes, but I'll just give you the, the reference now. In John chapter 20, verse 22, after the, his resurrection, the very evening of his resurrection, what does he do? Remember, he, the, the, the disciples are gathered in the upper room, and they're, they're there for fear. And Jesus appears before them when the doors were locked. And what does he tell them? It says that he breathed on them. And for the first time, they received the Holy Spirit. Were they saved prior to that? Absolutely. But did they have the Spirit of God indwelling them? I don't believe until this point. Because he breathed on them, and they received the Spirit of God into them. Now they were the first members of the church with the Spirit of God in them. And what about 40 days after that, when he, right before he ascended, 
So after his ascension, excuse me, after his ascension, on the day of Pentecost, what do we see in Acts chapter 2? The Spirit of God coming upon the believers. You can read that in Acts chapter 2. You all know it. You've heard of it. But the cloven t- uh, tongues of fire on each of them, and they were, em- they were empowered, weren't they, to speak. They were given boldness to go out and to speak to all the pilgrims who were in Jerusalem at that time. They had power, and that was the purpose of it. The baptism of the Spirit of God came upon them for a specific purpose, not just to entertain them. In fact, it was not to entertain them at all. The Spirit of God came upon them, and it was a promise that God had made, prophesied all the way back in Joel chapter 2. And so God came upon them. He breathed on them. And then after the, the day of the resurrection, then after his ascension on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God had come upon them. And now Jesus was glorified. Now the Spirit of God was poured out. And we see this threefold work of the Holy Spirit with you. You've heard, maybe you've heard this before. I'm sure you have. You've been here at any length of time. There's three different relationships we have with the Spirit of God. He's walking with you, which is the Greek word para. He's in you, which is the Greek word en or en. And then upon you, epi, okay? And so in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon them, but in the New Testament, the Spirit of God comes into us and also upon us. If you look with me at John chapter 14, this is what Jesus said. Remember, chapters 13 through 17 of John are really what uh, was recorded while they were in that upper room the night of the Last Supper. And what does it say in John chapter 14? As Jesus is there with his disciples, he says, If you love me, this is verse 15, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. And whom the world world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and notice this, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Notice, Jesus spoke of two different relationships that we have with the Spirit. He told them, he's with you guys right now because I'm with you. He's with you, he's coming alongside of you. That's what the word means, Um, with is para. He's, He's coming alongside of you. He's wooing you, if you will. Do you remember before you were saved, the Spirit of God wooing you? He did, that's what brought you to faith. I remember those days. I didn't care to know him. Somebody had shared the gospel with me many times, prayed for me, and I knew the Spirit of God came alongside of me so many times, and I rejected him, I rejected him, I rejected him. But there came a time when I said yes. Actually, he just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, and he came in me. And there's the other relationship. He was walking alongside of me, and just like Jesus says, he will be with you, and he's telling his disciples this the night before he was crucified, He's with you guys, but he is going to be in you. And when is he going to be in you? A couple days from now, after I rose from the dead. Three days later after this, guys, I'm going to stand in that upper room. He didn't tell him that, but he said, I'm going to breathe upon you, and you're going to receive the Spirit of God. You're going to be born again. The witness of God, the very nature of God is going to be in you, suppressing that old nature, that old sin nature. There's a new sheriff in town. It's called the Spirit of God. He's going to take that old rebellious sinful nature and he's going to put a lid on it. Aren't you glad? And the scary thing is we have the opportunity to remove that lid and open up a little bit and let it kind of seep out. 
It's not God's desire for that. So he says, he will be with you and he shall be in you. And now fast forward three or four days from then when, when Jesus finally, on the day of his resurrection, that very evening, what does it say in John chapter 20, verse 19? It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, a Sunday evening, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, he stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And notice, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, I am going to send you. And what does he do before he sends them? Does he say you're on your own? Go out in your own strength, guys. I did all the work on the cross. No, he empowers them. He gives them the Spirit of God. And so he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And this is a very important doctrine in the Bible. And we're pretty much going through it right now. Because it's the first time in the, since we've been in the Old Testament that this really has kind of come up. But it's good to remember these things. So we have the Spirit of God coming alongside of us, finally indwelling us as the disciples had. And every believer who believes in Christ now receives the Spirit of God in them. In fact, the disciples would say, or the, um, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, I believe, if the Spirit of God is not in you, you are not a Christian. You're none of his. So somebody can tell you, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Well, that's fine and good, but are you born again? And they think that's a cult or something. I'll ask somebody, are you, are you, a, you, know, um, are you born again? And they'll say, well, I'm Catholic. But, but, but are you born again? And there's people even fellowshipping in this church that have been coming, sitting. On Sunday morning, there's many who come. I, I, hopefully there's none, but I know there's a few. It's all up here. The change hasn't happened here yet. And praise God that they're still here, right? Because they need to hear it. And at some point, the Lord's going to arrest them. And that's a mystery only that God can do. I can't do it. No, none of us can. And so the Spirit of God comes in you. And, and that's the experience of the church. But that's not, that's not all. That, that's the assurance of salvation. That's the down payment, isn't it? Until Jesus comes and takes us from the earth and, and raptures us and gives us a new body. That's the down payment. But it gets better than that because that is fine and good, but I also need power. Like I said before, I need strength to go out. I need boldness. Does anybody here need boldness? Raise your hand if you need boldness out in the world. Because guess what? You are in enemy territory. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. But they must hear it. They must hear the truth. And how are they going to hear it unless, they, unless God has a vessel who's emboldened and loving, in love, emboldened in love. Not the guy who stands on the corner and says, you guys are all going to hell because, you know. I mean, you see people like that? It's like, does that sound attractive to you or not? It doesn't sound attractive to me. I'm like, I want to get away from this guy. No, God doesn't yell at people. He doesn't call them names. Remember, there was a church down in Texas. Uh, I mean, I won't even repeat what they said. It was horrible, the things that they said to people on the street. I can't even, I don't even want to tell you. But there's another 
relationship that we need with the Spirit of God, and it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Spirit of God comes upon you. And we see it in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Let me read it to you. So this Acts chapter 1, verse 4 is after the resurrection, but just before Jesus' ascension. And it says, being assembled together with them, because really the book of Acts picks up where Luke left off at the resurrection. So being assembled together with them, he commanded them what? To not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? It was given in Joel's, in Joel's uh, prophecy that the Spirit of God in the last days would come upon his sons and daughters. He would come upon them. And so he says, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized, speaking of John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In fact, it would be about 40 days from then. They would be baptized the day of Pentecost, 40 days after Pentecost, or after the Passover. I'm sorry, 40 days he ascended, and then 50 days is actually Pentecost. Sorry about that. So not many days from now, he says, Therefore, when, you, uh, had, when they had come together, they asked him and saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But notice what he says in verse 8. But you shall receive power. That's the word dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite from. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There we have it. And then we find in Acts chapter 2, as they wait there in Jerusalem, the promise of the Father does come. Jesus says, wait for the promise in Jerusalem. I'm coming. I'm going to give you that promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit upon you. And what was the purpose of it? Read Acts chapter 2, and you'll see that the Lord gave them boldness. He also gave them supernatural gifts to share the truth with people who had not heard it before. The truth about Jesus Christ. They knew about Judaism. But they needed to hear the wonderful news of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And God empowers them with great boldness, great love. I tell you what, when those two ingredients are together, you are unstoppable in the hand of God. To be so bold, but yet to be so filled with God's love. Think of that. Some people are really bold, but they don't really have a lot of love. Like those guys on the corner, screaming at people, yelling, telling them that they're all going to hell. (laughs) A lot of boldness there, but that's about it. There's no love of God there. But when you combine the both of them, when you can look at somebody and they know that you love them, and you're saying it in a way where they know you care for them, and they can sense it. They can sense it, and that's the Spirit of God in you, emboldening you to do it. And so pray for the baptism of the Spirit. You can't live without it. I can't live without the Spirit of God. Pray for it every single day, and say, Lord, when it's your turn, when when it's your will for this to happen, you do it, Lord. I don't need to be aware of it. Just make it happen. I don't care. Make me effective for you. Make me a bold, loving witness wherever you go. You just have to show up and open your mouth and let God do the rest. 
And when he sees fit, when there's people in front of you that really need to hear it, and he needs to embolden you, he needs to give you something that he gave to Peter on that day of Pentecost, trust me, if it's his will, he's going to do it, and you're going to be totally blessed. You're going to be lit up like a Christmas tree, because your whole heart is going to be thumping. You're going to be so excited, and you're going to have this joy on your face, and you're going to be sharing and loving these people that you're talking to. And boy, that changes everything. It changes everything. That's why we need that. We need it today, folks. The church is lacking in that. I'm lacking in that. We need that every single day, as much as the Lord wants to give. I just have to be open for it. Am I willing to receive it? So, back in verse 7 of our text, it says, And let it be when these signs come upon you. This sign is literally a miracle. When, when these things happened, because they were, they were miracles. That's what the, the gift of uh, the word of knowledge, that was a miracle. Samuel didn't have that, all those facts together. God gave him those facts, gave him the people. Tomorrow about this time, you're going to see three guys. This is going to happen, this is going to happen. And oh, by the way, after you leave there, you're going to go over here, and this is what's going to happen. And oh, by the way, when you go over there, the Spirit of God's going to come upon you, and you're going to prophesy. And Saul, uh, Saul's probably just going, okay. But that's what this word means, the signs in verse 7. It literally means a signal, it's evidence, it's a miracle, it's a token. And he says, you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Notice what he says. Seven days you're going to have to wait for me, Saul. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you shall do. Now, if we fast forward a couple of chapters, we're going to see... Saul getting to Gilgal finally, and he's there for seven days. And it says in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 13 that he waited. He's there waiting for Samuel seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And so Saul said, bring on a burnt offering and the peace offerings here to me. And notice, and he offered the burnt offering. Is Saul a Levite? No, he's from Benjamin. Was he supposed to be doing the offering? Didn't Samuel say, wait for me? Isn't Samuel a Levite? Wasn't he supposed to do it? Isn't that what he asked Saul to wait for him? And isn't it just like the Lord sometimes to wait till the 11th hour? We're praying. And the 11th hour, God shows up. And what does that do in us? It works patience. We want it the first day. God says, wait for me. I'm going to do something. In three days, I'm going to do something. So the first day, you know, if he did it, that'd be, that'd be really great. But sometimes he waits till the third day at 2,300 hours and 59 minutes. There's one second go on the clock, <laughs> and the Lord comes through. Sometimes he does that. Is it because he's cruel, or is, he, is, is that teaching us patience? There's something in the waiting, right? There's something in the journey of when God does stuff. And so Saul is here waiting for Samuel for seven days, and it's the seventh day, nothing's happening. So he's like, well, I'm going to take matter in my own hands. And this was the death blow to his faith. This was the thing that God says, you know what? I can't have a man who's self-willed. And not only wasn't he willing to wait, because he saw the people kind of dispersing from him, and so to gather the people unto himself, he had to take matters in his own hands. So he does. And notice what happens. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, Samuel showed up. <laughs> Oops. 
And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you didn't come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have, to, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled <laughs> and offered a burnt offering. And see, I think that can happen to a lot of us. We're just not patient. We're not willing to wait. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he, which he commanded you. For now, notice how it seems like this was like a mistake that Saul made, and God just hit him right on the head with it. He didn't give him you know, a lot of opportunities, or at least it's not recorded for us. But God knew Saul's heart. And this was one thing that God just says, you've disqualified yourself, Saul, from being king. Not only were you disobedient, you put your hand to the altar, which you're not supposed to do. You know better than that. And so Samuel upbraids him, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And who is that? David. He says, I have sought for, God has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him now to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And that must have been a real bitter pill for him. You know, we don't always understand why, the, why God can be so um, harsh in a sense. Some people get many opportunities, second, third, fourth, 70 chances, 100 chances, 150 chances to get it right. Some people only get one. And it's not up for us to make that decision and say, God, why? I can tell you why, because God knows the heart of the man. God had to judge that. So it was when he had turned his back from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. And when they came to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Notice that again in verse 10. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, is this What's happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? This doesn't mean that Saul took on the office of a prophet, but was temporarily enabled by the Spirit to prophesy with them. Again, God just giving him everything he needed to accomplish the role. Then a man there answered and said, But who is their father? And therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place, and Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where'd you go? And he said, to look for the donkeys. But when he saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said to him, saying, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but he didn't talk to him about the kingdom. He didn't tell him what Samuel had said, how God had anointed him to be a commander over his people. So then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who saved who himself saved you from all of your adversaries and adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Now, this may sound a little interesting because uh, Samuel has already anointed Saul in Ramah, correct? Okay, but now, seven days later at least, 
Now they're having, you know, they're meeting in Mizpah, and they're going to go through it, and he's going to present uh, Saul before the whole nation of Israel. And so to show you just how wonderful God is, even it doesn't tell us in the scripture here, but they cast lots for the tribes, the, the, the different uh, heads over those tribes, and, the, and a specific person. They cast lots, and they narrowed it down. And so it was just God's divine providence, again, in front of the people, that Saul was going to be their next leader. And so um, it says, And when Samuel, verse 20, had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen, again, through the process of lots. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. And this is interesting because this just shows some of the, the character of Saul. He was a very timid man, even though God had done great things in him and came upon him. And it may have been, you know, some people think, well, that's not so bad. He was probably a little bit timid and everything like that. It could be. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, has, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. So now Saul's hiding. That doesn't really bode well for Israel's first leader when God has uh, made it very clear that you're the man and you don't want to show up. Um, that's not a very good sign. And so Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. And so the, all the people shouted, Long live the king. You can, you can see this festive thing happening excited about this new king. And then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. And he wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And you recall that um, this, um, the behavior of royalty, um, back in uh, chapter 8 of this book, in verses 10 through 18, Samuel rehearsed that. And he got that from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. We won't need to go over that because we went over that last week about the behavior of royalty, how he would take your sons and daughters, make them his own. He would take their vineyards. And finally, in verse 26 and 27, it says, And Saul also went home from there to Gabeah after being acknowledged before the nation. He goes back home to Gabeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? And so they despised him. And brought him no presents, but he held his peace. He held his peace. And so there we see Saul being anointed. And already you're going to see, uh, we've already read some harbingers uh, of Saul's character that are going to manifest themselves later on. And he's going to be disqualified from being Israel's king because of his disobedience. In order for God to be blessed, uh, uh, doesn't it say it's better to obey than it is to sacrifice? He's going to tell that to Saul later on. It's better to obey than to make sacrifice. I'd much rather have obedience than to go through the, the motions of having some kind of worship service and slaying an animal and the blood being poured out. I'd much rather have obedience. And see, God would have the same for you and I. He'd much rather have obedience than for us to pay homage in some way. Oh, Lord, I'll come to church all three services in a week. But yet we live like a devil the rest of the week. And he's like, you know what? I'd much rather you live like a Christian and only come once a week than to somehow think that you can 
kind of pay me off or make me feel good about you by you coming three days a week. He said, I'd rather you, have, I'd rather you came once and were really obedient. And there is a challenge for us. And so we need that. Just like Saul needed the Spirit of God to come upon him, we too, as New Testament believers, the Spirit of God indwelling us, we also need to be empowered from on high. Amen? Let's stand together. And let's ask him tonight and, and just say, um, Father, we come before you, Lord, and we know we can't live this life apart from you. We can't live this life, Father, without being empowered by your Spirit to, to speak and to have a right heart, to have a right attitude, Lord. We can't do this in our own power, in our own strength. It's impossible, God. It falls flat on its face. Lord, we've seen it in the Scripture. Even in the life of Peter, Peter without the Spirit, nothing happens. Peter with the Spirit, everything happens. Lord, we ask for that same filling. As you see fit, Lord, make us willing and help us to pray for this often as we go every day in the morning, Lord. Would you fill us as you see fit, empower us by your Spirit for the people that we're going to encounter today, Lord, that that word that's in our heart would come forth with boldness and that our love would be exemplary and people would see it. Lord, would you please do that work in us? We need it, Lord, especially now, especially now in our country's history. The church needs the baptism and the filling of your spirit. Would you please do that in each of us this week, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.